Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Rob Rawson. He is the CEO of Time Doctor. He's also the co-founder of Running Remote and a co-author of Running Remote, the book, which is coming out in August. Uh, Rob has been around the remote work scene for quite a while now, as you can uh, hear from this podcast. Uh, He's experienced in uh, global staffing and has built Time Doctor to cater to that and of course running remote is a company that uh, focuses on remote work and to some degree the future of work so a really interesting conversation with rob as always if you want any of the show notes go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast enjoy this podcast is brought to you by outsource accelerator we are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Rob, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Awesome. Good, good. Good to speak to you, Rob. We've, uh, we actually had a coffee last week when we were both in Sydney, but it's, uh, it's good to connect now over, over the video machine, obviously. Uh, Rob, you, yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're the CEO and founder, co-founder of Time Doctor, which is now a pretty uh, well-known, significant software within the, within the outsourcing space, within remote workspace, which I want to discuss, obviously, on this call. Uh, and you've been building that for quite a while and you know it's interesting how some things evolve you know remote which i'd like to discuss with you remote really wasn't anywhere near as big a thing when you started time doctor no doubt uh and you're also a founder co-founder of running remote which we can talk about as well and you're co-author of running remote the book so um, there's a lot of remote in there. There's um, a lot we can talk about in terms of the future of work. So it's uh, really exciting to to have you on the show. Yeah, remote work is is an exciting topic, and people were forced into it, right? But there's now this kind of well, what are we actually going to do, and how are we going to evolve into the long term strategy? Yeah, 
Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And it all sort of wraps up in the, you know, obviously I focus more on global employment and what that kind of means with a with a lean towards outsourcing. Um, but remote work is, it, it's all a fascinating sort of future of employment, isn't it? It's going to be very different yeah. in the next 20 years to what it was 20 years ago, I think. Um, maybe you can take us back a bit, Rob. Do you want to just introduce Time Doctor and when exactly you started doing that and why you started Time doctor. So I was actually a medical doctor of all things. Can you believe that? I, I, I was actually working as a doctor and then I decided to get out of the emergency room and actually started various internet businesses. And I ended up with a business with affiliate marketing and Google AdSense. And I had a, a team in the Philippines. So I went over to the Philippines. I had almost 40 people in an office there. And it was doing okay, but uh, then the business started to do not quite as well. And then the office is so expensive. I, I just decided I didn't want to even live there. Uh, I didn't want to keep coming back to the office. So I, I wanted to get rid of the office. So then I thought, well, how am I going to do that? And I looked at sites like Upwork and other, other sites that have various software that they use. And I thought, well, I'll create my own software, which is how Time Doctor was started. Uh, as time tracking and productivity software for remote teams. And then I started using it just for myself, but then I expanded it out to really anyone that that wanted that kind of similar. They had teams often in the Philippines or remotely in the beginning. So that's how it all started and, and just built from there. And when was that? That You know, you were, you was, were pretty early into the game, weren't you? Yeah, that was when I first started building the software. It was really a long time ago, to 2010. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just quite difficult. It's like it was challenging. It was very early in the game for sure. Because I remember I started my offshoring to the Philippines in 2011, and I felt it was also pretty early. There were, there were BPOs back then, but there just wasn't the sort of common trodden path and and now you know yeah. there is which is which is fantastic yeah. but you know i know as well we've had conversations on this even paying people back then was a lot more difficult you know things that you kind of just take for granted now um yeah everything was a little bit more difficult what what um, motivated you to come over to the philippines like what did you see in offshore staffing Somebody I met actually at a conference, they told me about their Philippines team and they were telling me about the uh, how cost effective it was and just really great talent. So I decided to just go over there and check it out. I went to a hotel, uh, checked myself in and then interviewed CEOs who would then you know hire other people. Um, and I, I hired found three people uh, that, that a recruitment firm found for me that were around uh, very expensive for the Philippines at the time, like around 100,000 pesos or 2,000 a month. And I just thought, these guys are amazing. They're incredible. So I actually hired all three <laughs> at, at the time and I, I ended up building a business out of that. Of course, all three didn't really work out. One of them uh, ended up stealing money from me and uh, the other two didn't really work out as uh permanent employees but that was the base where I started and hired more people and it, it just went from there wow and time doctor then it was a spin out of wanting to sort of manage your remote offshore staff is that right yeah that's right to have everyone move out of the office get rid of the office and then have everyone work from home fantastic and what is time doctor now so what are you, we're fast forwarding, it's almost 15 years. What, what, uh, what is Time Doctor to the market now? 
Yeah, so we now have a very global workforce. So we're not just a Philippines-based workforce. We have people in 30 different countries. Uh, we've got 130 staff and we've got 9,000 clients. And we, we vary from the small clients to larger clients. And they're, they're a lot of them around the outsourcing industry or offshore enterprising where they have teams. Maybe they have an office in the Philippines or in India or something like that. And that's the common use case, but it varies. It's a few different people using it for different purposes, but that's really our core market is, is those kind of businesses. Got it. Got it. You know, we, as a outsourcing platform, we, I'm always interested in SaaS's, uh, SaaS software, the tools that cater to the outsourcing industry. And there's actually very few that are specific to the outsourcing industry because outsourcing really is just employment, you know, so whether it's yeah. project management, whether it's a Trello board uh, or time management or productivity management, you know, they're kind of all, but I really do feel that Time Doctor, you know, was built with offshoring in mind. Um, you know, that's not necessarily limited to that, but it is built with that. So it's interesting, I find, to to sort of look at Time Doctor and, and see how it can actually aid the, the building of teams and, and the um, workforce efficiency, I suppose. What are the main tools within Time Doctor and how do you think they, they add value? So we have a, a time and attendance component. So understanding what time people come in, what time they're on breaks, what time they're finishing. And then we have aspects where you can turn it on and off with uh, some degree of accountability. So you can see websites and applications, for example, that the person's visiting while they're working. And we're really focused on those kind of outsourcing use case. We're actually trying to get more into it and, and find out what integrations they need in terms of payroll and this sort of thing. So we're, we're diving into that as our, our core market and seeing what the needs are. Fantastic. And uh, how's the market gone? So, you know, back in 2011, 2010, it was kind of early days. How have you seen, and now, you know, a hot topic, and obviously we can talk about running remote, but a hot topic is remote and I hope more and more globalized employment. Uh, and we've recently had uh, COVID, of course, which forced people into remote. Um, how have you seen all of that evolve over the last 12 years? It's been this massive boost for remote work, obviously, but now people are trying to figure it out. And, and one of the things is that in the US and Western countries, the, a lot of workers are demanding the remote work. So there was a survey by ADP Research and they actually said that 64% of the workforce said that they would consider looking for a new job if their employer wanted them to go back to the office. So there's this strong, they've got this taste, right, of working remotely, and now they have a, a strong desire to continue to work remotely. Now, I think in some countries, like in India, it's not quite as strong. I think there is a lot more companies just going right back to the office and not as much remote work. I think Philippines is somewhat in the middle. But if you actually look at the Philippines and the travel requirements, so you look at the, tra the traffic and pollution, this is one of the, if you live in Manila in particular, it's, it's absolutely crazy to have to travel to, to work each day, you know, one, one or one and a half hours each way in terrible traffic. So remote work makes even more sense in that, that kind of situation. So I think it's really important for these uh, BPOs to explore that and to see how they can 
make it work? You know, what situations does it work for? I know it's quite challenging for some BPOs, especially call centers. They, they, there's not good enough internet at home, but uh, they, there is really a lot of demand for it. So it's, it's not something to ignore. And with the, with the time and attendance and things like that, like, does it suit every job, do you think? Is it easy? There, there are different roles, careers, jobs that have different sort of productivity measures and outputs. Uh, yeah. Is it sort of a one tool for all, or do you think that some, like the tool really suits more roles more than others? I think it is, it, it is applying more to uh, outsource teams, um, global teams. That's where we're finding the biggest fit. And we also have advertising agencies where they might be billing clients per hour. So there's, there's a fit there as well. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily fit every single uh, company and really has to depend on uh, how they do things. But I think that you always want to measure the results and the output of the work, right? Um, that's important for all types of work. But I think it's also important to measure the inputs and like what's going on. So you don't have to measure only one thing. And I think measuring multiple aspects can be helpful. For example, one thing you can do is to really look at how much time people are spending on meetings, right? And then if are you spending too much time on meetings or where are people getting distracted? And this kind of data can be really, really valuable. So it does depend on the situation, uh, but I think having that holistic view of what's going on in the organization can be very helpful. And the, the evolution to remote, um, you know, it's funny that people are refusing to come back to the office. I just wrote an article on the great resignation turning into the great regret. And, you know, there's been a lot of people turn over their jobs and it seemed that there was sort of, um, you know, the kind of the workers were mobilized and they all gave up. And then sort of three months later, they realized, ah, these jobs are actually these things that we need. And it's not, it's not all going to be a walk in the park and it's not all going to be yeah. on our terms. And it seems now the pendulum swing the other way in that, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it's a, it's a double, it's, you do work because you have to, and you're compensated for doing that work. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see how that plays out over the next uh, couple of years, but it's obviously um, remote is now a very real option, isn't it? Whereas I think five, 10 years ago, it was kind of like this kooky outlier and do you think in 10 or 20 years, it's going to be default? Uh, and then also, yeah, sorry. Karen. Yeah, it depends on the, on the particular job and, and company, obviously. Like if you're a medical device company, you need to be in person. But if a lot of uh, jobs, it makes so much sense. And I think that people are not really understanding the full implications of remote. And it really relates to... Uh, outsourcing and uh, as well because if you are able to hire people remotely in your city right or then why don't you just hire in your country like why are you hiring only in your city and then if you're hiring in your in your country the whole of the US you might then consider well what's the difference if I have someone in another country there really isn't much difference at that point and it opens things up to uh, offshore or international outsourcing where you can hire somebody, somebody in a, co- a company in the US can integrate someone into the Philippines into their team very directly. And there's not that same barrier that there used to be because they're already working remotely and they already feel comfortable with that style of working. And that's to me, the number one benefit for business owners is that they actually can 
consider that remote work and consider hiring talent from wherever they are in the world. If you're only hiring from your local city, you're very restricted in, in your ability to get great talent versus saying, well, why don't I just hire from anywhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? And, you know, there are there's a lot of labor shortage at the moment. And it's probably okay if you're living in New York, but if you're living in a small small isolated town, then you have a very limited capacity, don't you? And a very limited yeah. pool. Um, yeah. And do you do you see do you have any insights into trends of sort of adoption of remote or you know kind of the awareness uh, or in your conversations is it is it now becoming a lot more normalized? I think it is becoming more normalized, but there's these different stages. So the first stage will be. They have a a local office, right? And then they think about just having a hybrid situation where people are going one or two days into the office, but they're really still in the same city. Now, to me, that is not taking a full step towards remote. And, And the reason is because you're only still hiring from the same city. If you're requiring people to come into the office one, two or three days a week, it means that they have to live in that city. So you're narrowing down the number of people that you have in your organization. And then if people are in your org and they want to move to a different city for cost or other reasons, then you're, you're basically saying that they have to leave. And that greatly restricts the benefits of remote work. So it does, you don't have that same level of benefit. So I think that the next stage is to start thinking perhaps within the same country. So if you're in Australia, you think, well, I'm going to hire remotely, but just within Australia. And then the, the next stage after that is, is, well, why don't I hire like globally and I integrate people from different countries and, and then find the best talent. And I think that that's going to take a few years, but it's actually going to be this process where people are looking for talent in the right places. So the Philippines is amazing for uh, tech support and for any kind of support role, these kinds of roles. It's incredible. Uh, but it's a little bit more challenging for developers. Uh, There are some developers, but it's more challenging. And then if you want to hire like top-level executives, it's also even more challenging. So you're going to find the right country for the right role. And then you've also got to try and figure out what is the right time zones. You know, do you want to go through all time zones? Because if you're if you're hiring from Europe and Asia and the US, then that that also complicates things to an extra degree. So you might decide just two different time zones. So yeah, those are some of the future things that these companies that have started to go remote are going to have to tackle. We're going to find that they tackle, but some of them don't go that all of that far, and they end up just having these uh, going into the office one day a week, uh, four days a week, or whatever it is but they're still local. And, and I feel like that's not really taking the remote work to where it's meant to go. It's it's funny, isn't it? As you say, there's, there's definite stages there. And I think it's really critical for people to get comfortable with the concept of remote, get comfortable with the tool sets available, and then get comfortable with the ways of working remote. And then I think as they feel comfortable with that, they can actually look farther afield. And I can, I can sort of understand, you know, it, feels like you're walking off the deep end when you start to go and employ people from other countries because it's, it mm. is foreign in every sense. Um, mm. And 20 years ago, as we said, you know, there was no infrastructure and it was brutally difficult to do this, but now it's getting pretty easy. Um, 
through a lot of dedicated tools, but also just through everything being better, like online payments. Um, would you, uh, you know, there's also these um, employer record POEs, like they've raised a ton yeah. of money, haven't they? Like the deal yeah. and remote, I think they've raised over a yeah. billion dollars just between them, uh, which is a signal to the market that this global employment, they facilitate easier global employment. Um, so do you think, do you think in 20 years time, it's sort of going to be a default or, uh, how do you see it playing out? I think that it will be a lot more companies that choose that style where they have a very global team, but they may be more intentional about choosing two or three countries or, or regions. And they'll also choose whether they want to have an in-office style. So they'll have, uh, an office in Australia, an office in the Philippines. I think some people will continue to work that way and, and, there's a really big debate about that. Um, I've, I've heard varying opinions and, and people that are in offices, uh, they have their team in the Philippines in an office and they just swear by it and they say that's the, absolutely the best way to go. And then there's others that, that are totally comfortable with a completely remote distributed environment. Everyone is from home. And I, I do think that that depends on the type of business and and there are advantages and disadvantages to both. So it's going to, there's going to be a spread, but definitely the, the strong direction is more remote and more global. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of global employment, obviously, and taking advantage of the 8 billion people and the lower salaries and things like that. Uh, but, but I think operationally, it is, it is better and easier to have everyone within one office and you know, sharing those water cooler moments and getting more creative. And it, it's hard though, isn't it? You know, you, it's, uh, it's, it's, but I suppose it's fine tuning those, those tools and applications specific to how you, how you want to work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating cycle. So you, I suppose in response to this growing trend and you seem to be good at jumping on these, uh, these things, but you set up running remote. Uh, what is that exactly? It's a conference about remote work. So we had it in Bali previously, and it's getting these people that have been doing remote work for many years and trying to get their best tips and, and strategies of how they do things. And these are not necessarily small companies. Some of them are quite large, like GitLab, for example, has a thousand, uh, over a thousand team members and they're a billion dollar company. So you can imagine the complexity of that having this a company that's just completely distributed and how do they do things so it's it's really interesting to get their insights and we also created a book which is a similar kind of thing where we're getting these insights from and interviews of, of these top company leaders how do they do things and one of the core things that we discovered is about asynchronous communication so it's a really common thread usually when people go into their remote work and they're working from home, for example, because they're forced to in COVID, they tend to just go into Zoom or other meetings and that's how they handle everything. It's just meetings, meetings, meetings. And there's a limit to that. It's very distracting. It takes a lot of time and it's not as a, it's not effective for all communication. So I think it's really valuable to start looking at asynchronous communication, which is where you send a message and then the other person has time to review it, read it, and uh, or listen to it, and then basically respond in their own leisure without being interrupted. So it can be really effective, uh, and different styles of asynchronous communication as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I try and avoid meetings at all costs, actually. Yeah. Uh, but I think other people love them, yeah, and I'm not sure if that's because it's necessarily productive or just whether they like that social communication. But uh, And, you know, one of the difficulties with global employment is the time zones, and technology is never yeah. going to remove that time zone issue and, and kind of clash. Um, and so do you see sort of asynchronous as the way of the future? It's just kind of a different way of organizing and collaborating? It's a blend. So I don't think there's any, it's not necessarily only asynchronous. There are some organizations that go really to the extreme. So it's mostly asynchronous, but I, I prefer something in the middle where you do have the synchronous communication. You have the video calls and the, and the great thing about video calls is it's more personal. You feel more of a connection, like you said, but you also can get more complicated discussion, uh, real time. It's, it's more effective for that. Uh, the asynchronous, why, why that's great is that it doesn't disturb people, gives you a record they can listen to it at any time. Uh, and it's just a lot more productive and effective, especially with time zones. But even in the same time zone, you're just not disturbing people every time you send the message and you let people operate on their own schedule. And, and that's really powerful as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, do, you, do you think, you know, I'm undecided about this. Do you think because remote and sort of Filipino VAs, I mean, the Philippines has quite a brand now for offshore staffing. Everyone talks about Filipino staff or Filipino VAs, you know. Um, it's potentially quite powerful if it's, if it's well managed, I think. But is it, I think it appeals to the Tim Ferriss kind of crowd, you know, like the, the people selling supplements, um, working from a Bali beach. Do you do you think that remote will hit enterprise? Do you think that sort of obviously you know Google and Twitter and stuff have been forced to adopt, and the banks. Do you, but do you think they've got cash, so they're always going to have offices, or do you think that it's going to kind of win out um, in the long run, or is it going to be this kind of kooky sort of uh, Tim Ferriss <laughs> army kind of crowd? I, I think in terms of remote, uh, it's going to gradually move to more remote. Uh, after this big hit of COVID, it's going to, people are going to see the benefits and the, the people that want to work remotely or they're in really uh, distant cities where they can't join an office. So it's going to, incre- it's going to continue to increase, but there's, there's certainly some limit there. And so I, I don't think that's going to increase forever. Uh, but I don't think it's necessarily just a kooky Tim Ferriss type of uh, thing. I think there's there are larger companies that are considering this remote style. Um, they might have this could have a blend with offices and then everyone else remote. But uh, what I've tended to see is that the office starts to become a little bit less uh, of a central hub once you get lots of remote people. And the people in the office, they're thinking, well, why do I have to come into the office? Mm. Uh, so most people don't really want to come into the office. There's, there's a smaller percentage, like a minority, who prefer to go into an office. And the majority actually prefer to just work from home. And so if you're going with what the employees, the team members want, then most of them are going to want to work from home. And and most people that have started working remotely, they kind of just don't want to go back because they, they just don't like the hassle of having to work uh, in an office. So there is, there is a power dynamic there. There's, there's certainly the type of business, right? Um, what kind of thing they're doing. I think call centers, it's quite a, quite hard, especially in the Philippines to do that remotely and from home. 
um, sales, I think is more difficult. We we've done it successfully in our business. We have a remote sales team, but I, I do think that sales is, is especially outbound sales. Like you're constantly on the phone, you're, you're, it's really disheartening at times and having those people right next to you that are kind of encouraging you and you're seeing that other people are taking action. It, it, it's a lot more motivating. So I think there are certain types of work that are much more difficult to do remotely. And I do wonder, you know, maybe this is too big a sort of scope for the for the call, but like fast forward 20 years when everyone has been kind of isolated at home and their entire careers have been sort of bred at home, um, it, you wonder, like, not, like we're very social beasts and we kind of learn off other people and we learn by seeing and doing and we learn by the environment that we're in. Mm. So I wonder where it's all going if, if people sort of remain kind of isolated in their own environment it's going to be fascinating to watch i i think that is a big issue like that's probably the biggest issue of remote work Uh, when you're completely remote and working from home and if you don't have enough friendships if you don't if you're actually single uh, it can be really uh basically terrible for your own uh, psyche to be working from home and not have anyone around so you have to have a balanced life and it's natural for us to be with other people. So if they're, they're from home and they don't have that situation, uh, and I find that that's a small percentage, like 5 or 10% maximum of people that have that problem, but it is a real significant problem that they just can't get enough social life uh, when they're working remotely. And what about motivation as well? I'm a pretty motivated guy I've always owned my own businesses but even you know back in my late 20s when I was supposed to be working there's a lot of distractions at home you know and especially now with like Netflix and if you've got a beach nearby and there's a lot of temptations like um, I'm pretty good now but I'm sort of pretty stable in my routines but how does a mid-20s person with all these distractions ever concentrate on the hard work of work I think there's different approaches, but it's, you have to have very uh, careful uh, looking at what the person's actually doing in terms of their work output. So you need to understand exactly how productive they are in, in their work output. And then you can also use software like ours to see what they're actually doing with their day-to-day as well. So you can combine the two of those. I don't think there are enough people that are just so inherently self-motivated that they will just work productively when they're at home. It is very distracting and it can be, for a lot of people, they can be less productive and, and it is a, it is an issue. I mean, there's some people that are just incredibly motivated that just, just work no matter what, um, but uh, they need to have those metrics and, uh, and and that's another reason why some people do fail with remote work. But I... I think that with the right structure around them and with the right KPIs and the right meetings and so on, that they can still have that input and that productivity. And what about, so running remote, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's sort of a community and it also runs conferences. And uh, we obviously had a, a sort of huge issue with COVID and conferences and you know, there is a move from physical conferences and they're very valuable people. There is enormous value in getting communities together and getting them into a room and collaborating and hearing speakers. And then it all stopped for two years. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of Tony Robbins, but I notice also Tony Robbins converted to, to online uh, talks, conferences and things like that. But yeah. for many, it was very difficult. What insights have you had in terms of in-person versus virtual conferences and, and the different sort of pros and cons of that? So we had an in-person conference, then during COVID, we made it virtual and, and we had a certain amount of success with that. It was, it was successful. We got a lot of people in there, but the level of engagement at the conference is a lot less. Uh, the sponsorships, if you have a conference, it's much harder to get sponsorships for virtual people. The sponsors are not as interested in it. And then just as I say, the engagement, I think the, the hybrid is something that's really a good possibility where you do the in-person, but you also send out the videos and you, and you let people participate remotely if they really can't attend in person. Uh, so it's a little paradox because we're, we're about remote work, but we, our conference is in person. Uh, in Montreal, Canada, and I think that's okay. Like, I think that you, it's it's not saying that remote work means that you're always sitting in front of a computer, right? I think if you are in that situation where you have total remote work, you still need to meet in person. Mm -hmm. Meeting in person is really, really important. Uh, and this is probably one of the biggest downsides of my current way of running the business is because we have people in 30 countries, it's quite hard to meet in person. And if we had only people in the US or maybe just the Philippines in the US, it would be much more practical to get together. Uh, even if they were working remotely in the Philippines and that was the only country, it's, it's super easy to get, get on a plane and meet together. But we have people in Nigeria, like just they, they can't get a visa. They can't mm -hmm. get a visa to anywhere. And it's very challenging. So um, that's probably the biggest downside that I, I'd like to overcome. And I'd, I'm not sure whether I'd always recommend like a country with a, a company with 30 different countries uh, having staff from 30 countries. Yeah, because it's not about being like a maximalist. Is it? It's not saying, you know, everything needs to be remote. And I think yeah. when you are remote, as you say, it's even more important to have those moments where it is yes. in person and have Absolutely. that physical contact. And it's a little yeah. bit like, you know, with, with everything now going remote and after COVID, maybe these places like we work are really going to come into their own and things like conferences mm. where mm. you need those moments of connection and, and meetings and um, yeah. bonding and things like that. Yeah. Can I ask like, like with you sort of your own business strategy with staff from 30 countries, are you then literally just assessing the staff on, on their capabilities and merits? You don't consider anything else well, such as I suppose price and location. Like is, are you sort of, is it absolute meritocracy? Well, that's the idea. Yeah, the idea is that, that it's a meritocracy, but we do consider time zone, especially if it's a support role, uh, that's important, or there might be a sales role. It has to be in a certain time zone. And then we look in certain countries depending on where we think the talent is. So we've found for tech support, great talent in the Philippines and Pakistan for some reason uh, has been really good. And then for developers, we're, we're finding great developers all around Eastern Europe, Egypt, and various countries that developers are really hard to find, uh, mm. talented developers. So it just depends. And, and we also find great people in South Africa and uh, management team tend to be more based in the US. And that's because of the level of experience that people have in the US is just a lot higher. They've just been in these top level jobs for longer than they they have that management experience that we need. So yeah, there's 
it's just looking for the right location, but uh, we're, we're, we're just looking for the best talent usually. And how do you, if you don't mind me prying, but how, how do you then sort out salaries? So in a normal organization, salaries are very difficult because especially when you have a, a, quite a few people, you know, you need to watch the hierarchy, you need to watch the tenure, the time that people have been working there and where they are in the rank and all this. When you add in different countries, you know, you could have someone in a very low-end role in the US, like a very sort of um, entry-level person, earning more than a very senior, senior technical personal manager in one of the cheaper countries. How, how do you sort of, how do you reconcile that? Or is it is it just confidential within the organization? Um, I could tell you just the general principles that I have around it. And I think that my principle is actually a little bit unique in the approach that we take to it. Uh, I believe firstly that it's a market-based economy. So we get people for the the best talent at, at a reasonable price that we can afford it so that that will depend on the country so that you'll you'll choose the country based on whether we have the talent and whether they're affordable for us at, at that uh, the price in that country but then then what you're talking about is that well what if you have different countries where they're totally different levels well my philosophy around that is some very simple rules where the manager should always be in a higher salary than the person that's being managed i mean it's kind of obvious but when you start looking at international uh uh, teams it it becomes less obvious and then the other thing is well if there are two people in the us and and the philippines and the person in the us is on you know five thousand or four thousand a month and the person in the philippines on you know five hundred dollars a month and they're equivalent in talent that should never happen in my Mm -hmm. my organization it's never going to happen because because I only want people, if they're in the US and they have a higher salary, it's because they have a skill that the person in the Philippines does not have. And so there's, you can't really prepare it, compare it proportionally because there are, in some cases, very big differences. Uh, but I think those differences are going to change over time. The salaries are coming up in the Philippines much higher than they are in the US. So eventually that's going to equalize, but it only equalizes if the talent is there as well. So you're paying for the talent ultimately. Um, but, you know, the difficulty is like what happens if somebody's like 10% better, you know, but they're 50% higher salary? Well, actually, in some cases, it makes sense to pay 50% more to have a 10% better because the 10% better means you don't have to spend all the time training them. You don't have all of these other issues that they caused and so on. So it actually can be worth the extra money. Um, but I never want to be in a situation where there's equivalence with a, mm-hmm. with a higher salary uh, on one side. Yeah. It's a really thorny topic, isn't it? It's really thorny when all of your staff are in one city. Um, mm. And, you know, it's, a, it's only going to increase. I knew at some point, you know, quite a lot of staff in Emirates uh, that lived in Dubai. And Dubai would, or Emirates, would source these staff from wherever country they came from, you know, and that's very diverse from the UK or from Eastern Europe. And and then they, if they got the job, they all moved them to Dubai and they, they worked and worked from Dubai, but they all had a salary dependent on where they were sourced from. So, you know, and that's really quite hard to, I suppose, justify over a long term because these staff could be in Dubai for five years. And if they were originated from a certain country, they're paid either less or more, even though they're, they're all living from one country with the same cost base. But, 
you know, and, and that's obviously a big enterprise making a, on some level a strategic decision, but it's very, very difficult, isn't it? And if we go more remote and more globalized, then it's going to be happening more and more, isn't it? That complexity. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. So tell me, tell me about the, the, the book then. So you've co-authored a book running remote. Yes. Yeah, so we interviewed all these uh, experts in remote work and people have been doing it for many years. Uh, so it's with my co-founder, Liam Martin, and we've really got some great insights. And, and one of the key factors that we, we managed to find was in common, it was that asynchronous work that I mentioned before. So it's, it's coming out in August 2022 and really excited about the insights from from the book and all of the stories of, of remote work and just it, it's mainly aimed at companies that have either gone remote, but they're still trying to figure it out, or they're in the remote situation, they want to get better tips and strategies, and it could be people ops managers, or the owners of companies that are, are, are trying to make sure that they're running the company effectively from a remote point of view. Got it. Yeah, fantastic. And when is that out? And how do people get it? Yeah, August 2022, and you can just search on Amazon for running remote, and you should be able to find it. Amazing. I'll, uh, I'll be signing up to that. Thank you so much. Really, really interesting stuff, and I'm so excited about this whole future of work thing and, and globalized employment, so it's great to see that um, that you're out there. And also, you know, Time Doctor I've always found intriguing because it is one of the only custom tools, or what I see as quite a custom tool for for this industry so really interesting yeah it's exciting to talk to you and to see what happens in outsourcing global workspace in the next uh, five ten years it's going to be fascinating that was rob rawson he is the ceo of time doctor and also co-founder of running remote uh, if you want to get in touch with rob we actually didn't say this at the end of the podcast but go and visit Time Doctor, or just Google that, it'll pop up. Uh, and also running remote, just Google that and it will come up. Uh, you'll be able to get in touch with him there. Uh, and also Rob Rawson is on LinkedIn if you want to get in touch with him on LinkedIn. As always, if you want any of the show notes, all of these links and more are in those show notes. Go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And as always, if you want to send us any questions, just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.